one old stone because my eyesight's not good enough. So I bought a new Bible and I got the large print Bible, but it's that big, it won't fit on this table. So welcome to the, the 50s where you can't see. Um, I actually, um, it's just lovely to see you all. And isn't it starting to feel more like a family on, on a Sunday morning? I don't know about you, I'm just so just full of joy when when we come and I know it's small and I know it's too warm and for those of us who need certain patches it's too warm and it's just it's just a pleasure to to be with you all today and when Andy asked me to talk uh briefly I I I, I kind of smiled but then I thought but he's already done four fantastic sermons and I don't know about you but thank you Andy there's been some real revelations I've, I've really enjoyed it and just to really be provoked about the father heart of God and to really realize how much he, he he really truly loves us and then I was talking to some colleagues at work and they were saying if you had to do a TED talk uh, on the fly as the Americans say with no notice, what would you talk about? And I thought that's a really good question, isn't it? If someone just thrust a microphone into your hand and said, you've got 20 minutes, half an hour of which I'll try and, and, and finish within that time, what would you talk about? And immediately I thought of the words, orphan, slave, son. Now credit where credit's due, I actually nicked that title from a book that I read about 10 years ago. And I rarely, rarely do I plug a, a book from, from the pulpit, but this will be the best tenor anybody can ever spend. I encourage you, it's by Ben Paisley, who is an American youth pastor from the hood. I mean, talk about lived it. So if anybody's got a birthday present or needs a birthday present coming up, I think you can get it on Amazon, 10 quid, Please, would you all try and get that? Or, in fact, does anybody want this? Okay, your, your hand was first up, so I'll give it to you. Bless you, you can have that one. And, um, yeah, because for me, orphan, slave, son, I was thrust into the world of orphanhood. Um, when I say by accident, I was ambushed by Jehovah Sneaky in uh, back in 1997 and for those of you who don't know me i i know there's so many of our old um, new life family but for those of you who don't know me i was a missionary in honduras for seven years and i'm i had no desire to be a missionary and i know that might sound really unchristian but i was a midwife at leeds and i was just really happy being a midwife and delivering babies and being with my colleagues and just living my own life and um, God thrust me into this world of, of brokenness in Honduras. And I can honestly say my life has never been the same since. But on that journey, the Lord took me through a transformation from orphan, slave and son. So today, if it's all right with you, I'm going to speak really pragmatically because as families, we've got to talk about some real stuff, haven't we? If we can't be honest to highlight the problem, how are we going to fix the problem? And and so today I, I want to talk a little bit about my own experience um, of working with, with these three categories. 
and then relate some of it to scripture and discovered it brilliantly already. But then just, um, just focus on the solutions. Because I don't know about you, I, sometimes we talk so much about the problem, don't we? Go, Come on, what's the solution? It's not rocket science. What can we do to actually fix this issue? So I'm going to talk a little bit, and it does sound a little doom and gloom initially, but bear with me, okay? So, um, and then I thought, I've got all my notes. I've done notes for ages. I'm used to being on a, on a, on a laptop. But I just, um, I thought since it's quite challenging what we're talking about this morning, I thought we'd start off with a joke and I'm really bad with jokes. But it's Richard Dixon's fault because I was having dinner with Linda and Rich last week and he reminded me that sometimes some preachers before the sermon, they start with a joke. And we have this thing at the gym that once a week somebody has to bring a dad joke because dad jokes are just that bad, aren't they? They're hysterical. So I actually wrote this down because this is the biblical version of a dad joke. Okay, are you ready? Early one morning, a husband and wife were arguing, debating, who should get out of a warm bed on a cold winter's morning to go make the coffee. Finally, the wife folded her arms and said decidedly, you have to go and make the coffee, it's in the Bible. What, said the husband, no it's not, show me. She leant over for her Bible, flicked over to the New Testament and declared, look, it says there, Hebrews. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, it's so bad, isn't it? Don't judge, don't judge. I know, it is shocking. There you go. Told you it's Richard's fault. Right. Okay, okay. Um, I just want to say something that in my... I think I'm coming up to about 27 years now of working in partnership with children, that nothing has exposed all my limitations, all my weaknesses, all my insecurities, all my angst, all my frustrations, even more than working in missions than parenting. Whilst it's my greatest gift, it has been my greatest challenge. And for those of you in the room who worked with Lax, we can't say Lax anymore, looked after children, we have to say children looked after, don't they? Thank you, children looked after. We change it every five years, we can't do both. But for those of you or someone like myself who was thrust into the world of orphans, nothing can prepare you for working with those with ruptured attachment. So just remember that word, ruptured attachment because their the behavior is just baffling. And you look and you think, I don't even know where to start. So for me, it was a really humbling experience because I'd studied attachment for about five years and I actually thought I'd got the attachment thing down. I thought, oh yeah, on paper, it's really easy, isn't it? And then my, my maternity clinic, my antenatal clinic was next door to an orphanage and in that orphanage was 17 children under the age of six and about 10 of them had something called what we called back in the day reactionary attachment deficit it was actually called disorder then but then they changed it and it's called rad and it's those children who are so severely damaged through being raised without parents their behavior is just it's tragic 
So all that to say, I was thrust into this world and I thought, wow, what do I do with your babies? What do I do? So anyway, we, we, we did what we could with these 17 children and to be honest, nothing was working. And this is pre-internet. That's how old I am. So we didn't have research. There was no Google Scholar. There, was, you know, there wasn't a library in Honduras. It was just learning on the fly. And this was even before something. Now we have something called deinstitutionalization. And that is because the world, thankfully, especially through the nonprofit worlds and charities, have realized that orphanages just don't work. And even though we start them, you know, myself included, we're sincere in heart, but we can be sincerely wrong in our approach to caring for the orphan. So all that to say, the deinstitutionalization process actually it, it, it provoked something in my own heart. And there's nothing like working with the orphan to expose your own orphan spirit within you. And um, and I was actually quite shocked at at my misunderstanding of the true love of the Father of God even though I'd been to Bible school and even though I'd been a missionary for about seven years at that time. So the Lord in his kindness took me on a journey through the stages of orphanhood, and I'm talking spiritual orphanhood because I'm blessed to have a father and a mother. But do you know you can have parents and still have an orphan spirit? We can still have a biological family but still operate out of a slave mentality. So today, as I'm talking, can you be thinking and listening um, to the Holy Spirit and just contemplate on, on your own past? Do you know, where, where is our understanding really, truly? I, I'm being honest. I, I, sometimes I think I'm, I've got the sonship bit and I think, yes, I'm trusting. And then something happens to throw me for a loop and I can slide back into the slave mentality. And, and I don't know about you, but for those of us who are just inclined, created to be fixers, and I, I think sometimes that can be a real challenge just to step back and say, Lord, I don't know how to fix this, but I'm trusting the one who can. So if that's okay for the next 20 minutes, we'll just run through some, some verses. Our anchor verse for this morning is going to be Malachi 4, verses 5 to 6. And that's not there, it's fine. And, um, and during the week, if you can just get your Amplified Bibles, get your study Bibles, whatever you do this week, can you just have a really in-depth read of that in your own time this week? Because we haven't got time. Uh, today, but Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 to 6, just quickly says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. And the Amplified actually says, of complete and utter destruction. Now that is one heck of a scripture, isn't it? The very last scripture in the Old Testament, and then there's 400 years gap before the book of Matthew. So we know it's incredibly 
incredibly important to the Lord. Now we won't get into what is the spirit of the spirit of Elijah, because that's a whole thesis in itself. Some believe it's John the Baptist, some believe it's the Holy Spirit, but that's for your own studies. Right now, I just want to focus on what that actually, that scripture actually is. And for me, I think this verse is fairly, fairly remarkable because it is, it's an insight to the Father's strategy for his end time plan, isn't it? It's showing us that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, the Lord will divinely do something in the hearts of men for the problem, for the problems in society. And through the Holy Spirit, he will do a deep work in them to bring restoration, so much so that the Lord will withhold putting a destruction on the earth. This, there's something so divinely important about the relationships between fathers and their children that if we look at society today, we can see where the greatest attack is, can't we? Jared said it on, the, on Wednesday, that the enemy is either trying to attack men about their identity or attack society about needing men. But when we look at what the wife says, this is the Lord's end time battle plan. And we can just see that where the enemy tries to cause disunity and separation, um, that's where issues occur. And the enemy is often subtle, isn't he? He's subtle in his attacks. And the way society is redefining the family and fatherhood and masculinity, we know it's, it's very, very different from, um, from what the Lord intended. Now, as we look at the prophecy of Malachi, it, I'm going to be honest, if I had to guess what the Lord's end time battle plan would be, I would have thought it would have gone something like, Behold, I will send you the prophet who will invade parliament and raise up kings to restore justice or, or, um, or education. Behold, I will spend the, send the spirit of truth to, to straighten what has been made corrupt and re realign knowledge through, through professors who know the Lord and love the Lord and know his ways. But he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't say, I will restore knowledge through education. He doesn't say I will restore justice through parliaments or governments. He highlights, instead, he, he highlights something that's even, even more powerful than governments and education. He highlights a relationship. And even more important than a relationship, he highlights family and fathers. So I, I, I really want to speak about how as a church are we preparing our hearts as fathers and mothers in this end time because as we're praying for revival and guests are coming and we are standing as a family we know we're going to get an influx of the orphan-spirited, the slave mentality, but God wants us to help them become sons. And when I say sons, I mean daughters as well. So for the ladies in the room, you're included. I'm not excluding, excluding you all. But why does the Lord want us to walk in our sonship identity? Because the times are dark. 
and sadly it is going to get darker before it gets better before the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's, you know, sadly, that's just the blueprint of the gospel. Second Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5 says, In the last days, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of themselves, you know the scripture, unholy, without natural affection, fierce, despisers of those who are good, traitors, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, ever-learning, yet never able to come to the knowledge of truth. It's just a mess. It's just a mess. Jesus warns that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. Even fathers outside of Jesus will betray children and children their own fathers. Conflict and pain in the midst of household and families. Daniel 10 even speaks of incredible warfare to come. And, and even First Timothy chapter 4, I mean, this just sounds so doom and gloom, but bear with me. It says there will even come a time where society will forbid marriage and even the eating of certain foods. We can see where we're heading and, it, and it's not good. But running simultaneously in the midst of these disheartening words of rebellion and pride and outlawing of marriage are Malachi's words, a beacon of hope that God in his darkest hours has a plan for society, a strategy so powerful that it can and will be victorious against all of Satan's assaults and perversions of truth. Because when we look at society and we look at the prison system, I was raised by a prison governor. And do you know the things I know about prisons? Do you know my father was a prison governor and prison director for 36 years. And I know the... You keep slinging money at it, you keep slinging, but the reoffending, the reoffending, and it just goes on and on. The foster care system, the money we plough into it, but you don't manage children, you love them. That's the issue. And, and we can look at the schools and, and all, all of society where there's pain. And if we're really honest, we can trace that back to humans being separated from God or separated from their biological fathers. And then the orphan spirit and the slave mentality permeates the earth, causing chaos and damage, abandonment, mental health issues, loneliness, poverty, all the things that we understand. But I believe more than ever that the Lord is, is getting us ready. It's like there's an alarm clock going off. He doesn't need spiritual orphans and slaves in an institution he needs sons and daughters in the family of god because orphanages produce orphans families produce heirs i tried for seven years i tried every tactic i had in an orphanage prayer in the morning prayer in the afternoon education english classes dance classes drama bible classes outdoor activities swimming gymnastics you name it, I was like a one-man band trying with my staff to fix the fatherless and the brokenness within these 17 beautiful children. And you know the tragedy is there's 163 million orphans in the wild. And research, current research, for those researchers in the room, we always know it's out of date before we get it. But every 16 seconds, there is another orphan in the wild. 
every 16 seconds, yet 70% of the world's orphanages are built by the church. 70% of the world's orphanages are building. Even though we know that deinstitutionalization is the key, that family style connection is the answer because you don't manage God's children, you love them. But the challenge is that adoption is sacrificial, it's inconvenient, it is a requiring a laying down of your own life. Believe you me, I know. I have never prayed so much for one child in my life than my son who I believe is called and I, I believe he will stop being a Jonah at some point and come back to the Lord. He is beloved. He has been raised in the house of prayer. But at, there is nothing more humble, more humbling than standing in the gap and interceding for one of the lost. Can you put the scripture up of the, the prodigal son, please? I know Andy touched on, on this yesterday, but I just want to open this today, last week. Um, is it up there? Yeah. I, I just think it's so fascinating, this story, but I will be honest, as a woman, when I read it, I often think, where was the mother? I do, I read that. I think, well, I wonder where the wife was in all this. I know it's a story of three sons, uh, the father talking about his son and then our father talking about the two sons. And, and I read that and, I, and I, I love that his father saw him and ran. And I believe we have to have a revelation of a father who runs. And I'm laughing because I'm not a runner. I know Rachie is, I know Richard is, or used to be, um, when he wasn't really old. <laughs> but when you're six foot four, you tend to be a better runner than when you're five foot five. I'm like, I was at Jenny's school this week and I was watching some of the boys run. And do you know when boys put their coats on the head and their arms out, the kind of run, I actually thought, that's how I run. I am the worst runner in the world. I can do gym classes or a ballet class for hours, but get me to run and I am the worst runner. And I can remember watching the... Um, the London, the London Marathon and it was years and years ago and there was this one girl and she was kind of like the worst runner I'm like really should you have done 26 miles really was it a bit grandiose but she was like no I'm gonna do it and I'm just gonna go for it well everybody finished and she was still running and then the then the ITV kept saying well we've got one runner but she's like 14 miles behind the rest of the group and I'm like that'd be me like running along and then you saw the street sweepers come in and they're like tidying all the drinks and and then but there was one man stood there and it was a dad <laughs> and he was stood there and he just kept looking for her and mum and I was watching it and we was weeping and it was like our hour one hour two and third hour like the itv are like yeah there's still no sight of runner one two four six where is she and the, the camera had panned to her dad to her father and he'd say she'll be there she'll be there and i was just so touched by his faithfulness to stand and wait for his daughter even though she was the last one even though she was the 
race to run it. And then finally, like three and a half hours after the London Marathon had finished, you saw this young girl and she had cuts and bruises and she'd fallen and she had cramp and she looked as if she'd been shot at like mile 13. And she she's kind of like limping towards the end. And her father saw her and ran to the, to the finish line, which no longer was there because they're taking it down. And she just fell into his arms. And she said, I knew you'd wait for me, Dad. I knew you'd be here. And we was just crying because there's something. And then they asked her when she could breathe, what made you keep going? She said, I knew my dad would be waiting for me. And that is a true story. And I just thought, so I told my dad, he was like, I don't think I had to wait in three, three hours and I'd gone to the pub. I'm like, oh, thanks. But, but the, you see the analogy that she kept going. She kept running the, way, the race because she knew her dad would be, would be waiting. Now, I am looking at the, the clock and time's ticking. So can you just um, show that little, um, the, the table? if we can get to it. It's just a table. And if I'm honest, these were our teaching notes from IHOP years and years ago, but because I can't use them for copyrights because they're a university, I've had to use our notes. So these were our notes that we used for the orphan slave sun class back in, back in the day. So I don't usually put all this text up, but there wasn't another way, so just work with me. So if we start with ourselves, the image of God. Where do you see, where do we see ourselves? And obviously you've got heart of a slave and orphan on the left and the heart of a son on the right. And I think it's so important, even before we, we actually go any further, is who is God to us personally? Do we really see him as a loving father who will see our one step and do 99 and run towards us? Or do we see him as a taskmaster? Do you know an upper class father with 7 billion children who you have to get in line to see or answer your prayers with? No, he is daddy waiting and always there for you. Um, how do we, how do we, have our understanding in our in our motive and our purity for righteous living and and where we see ourselves aligned as children of God do we just want to be holy because we know that pleases the father we know we cannot be loved anymore but the word says John 14 15 if you love me you will obey me doesn't it it, it's a, from a posture of heart, not just duty. The Lord wants to get our hearts, doesn't he? And then um, just our motive, motive for service. I, I, I love people who they, they know who they are so much that it, working for somebody else or somebody else's ministry, that's really hard. But when you know who you are in God, you can be in behind the scenes and know that the Father's delight is on you. It's easy to honour others. It's easy to honour others' skills when you know who you are. I'm not known for my cooking. I'm more of a pot noodle and a slice of toast girl. I just was raised in a library, not in a kitchen. That's my excuse. So, But I love going to people's houses who can cook. I'm not intimidated by it. 
thank the Lord. Do you know, I've got friends in my life who are great cooks. I love it. I'm not jealous or intimidated. I don't compare myself because I just think, thank God that he's blessed me with lovely people who are great cooks in my life. So, um, and then the next slide really quickly is how do we see ourselves, our self-image? Sorry, I'm struggling your way. Um, and our peer relationships, how we relate to one another. Do we encourage? Do we build up? Or are we a bit critical and tear them down? It's only when you start examining behaviour. Behaviour is a language, isn't it? How we think and feel and respond to others shows where we are in our journey. And it is a journey of orphanhood, slave mentality, sonship, identity. And even how we view authority. Do you know, one thing I loved about being in America was, they called me ma'am, yes ma'am. And I do not know, I, well, I know it makes you feel old, but they're just the children are taught really young to respect their elders like we used to back in the day. But sadly, the teachers in the rooms perhaps would agree that, you know, respect for authority isn't always there. But when you know who your daddy is, it's easy to respect because there's an outpouring of abundance from your heart. Okay. Um, I know time's ticking away. Is there a little video, a little three-minute deal? I've bombarded them. I have to tell you something really funny. I'm not a details person, as Hartford Justice Board would know. Um, I'm a visionary person, and I sent Laura some verses, some slides. And do you know when someone texts you something and you can see a writing and the stop, and you can see it writing its stop, and she sent me a text saying, Leone, would it be okay if I made them look better? <laughs> I'm like, thank you, Laura. Yes, go for it. So I can say thank you that we have someone in our midst who's a creative designer and can make my slides look pretty because there really wasn't pretty. Um, this is just a three-minute promo that we used to share back in the States. And it is focusing on the issues of society just for three minutes but then we will when we close and when we finish we will focus on the solution which we know is in christ and through father so can we just watch this for Nearly 40% of all children in the United States are born out of wedlock. Nearly 35% of Caucasian children are born out of wedlock. More than half of all Hispanic children in the U.S. are born out of wedlock. More than 70% of all African American children are born out of wedlock. Jesus. One out of three children in America live in a household without their biological fathers. This means 24 million kids are growing up in homes without their dads. Children who grew up in fatherless homes are five times as likely to be poor. Fatherless boys and girls are two times as likely to drop out of high school, two times as likely to end up in jail 
and four times as likely to have emotional and behavioral problems. 71% of pregnant teenagers grow up without a father. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state reform institutions grew up in single parent homes or without parents. Children who grew up in fatherless homes are twice as likely to abuse alcohol or illegal drugs. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. For all the sons and daughters who are walking in the darkness, you are calling us to leave back to you. Will you make a difference? Will you make a difference? Will you make a difference? So that I can live a better life. Will you make a difference? Will you make a difference? So I don't become a parent before I'm ready. You can make a difference. So that I don't have to give myself a way to feel loved. You can make a difference. So I don't have to get high to numb the pain. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. So I don't look to gangs to be my family. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. So that I don't have to learn what it means to be a man from the streets. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. So that I can experience the love of Christ. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Deuteronomy 11, 18 and 19. It's really quite a poignant reminder, isn't it? Then to come back to full circle, Malachi 4, 5 and 6. No wonder the Lord chooses fathers. So I actually decided to do a little bit of my own research and I text some fatherless youth who I knew, who I know. Because in 1 Corinthians 4.15 it says even though you may have 10,000 tutors, and that word tutors is teachers, instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. And begotten, the Greek word, in the Greek word, means to procreate, regenerate, or to give birth to life. So when you become a spiritual father, the root word in Greek is to give birth, to give life, genos, to begot a child. Now, I believe I can, I get emotional speaking about this because I raised a fatherless orphan alone. It's not easy. It was interracial. It was English as a second language. He's got dyslexia. And it, it's been a journey. And it still is a journey. And what is so sad is, and I'm not talking about this church, our church, but when I was in the States and we used to share our stories, our testimonies, we used to ask a question. We know that James 1.27 is pure and undefiled religion before the Lord is to what? Care for widows and 
offerings. So not with any malice in our hearts, after the service, we used to ask the pastors and the elders, so how many widows and how many fatherless children do you have in your congregation? Not one could tell us. But the sponsor missions and put roofs on orphanages in Cambodia, which we're thankful for, but we're missing the widows and the orphans in our midst. I'm all for. I'm a widow. I've worked in missions with the orphans. I've lived a slave mentality and I'm ushering, I'm being ushered in to sonship identity. In research, we would say this is empirical or phenomenological experience derived from lived experience. It's heartbreaking. How can we say we know and love Jesus yet ignore the widow and the orphan in our midst as the church? Again, I'm talking about the church, not this family. So I believe more than ever, as we are praying for Kingswood, we're praying for East Riding, we've got to start with ourselves. Where are we in our faith journeys? Are we really living, believing, praying, giving? Stuart spoke on, on, on tithing and giving from a heart of generosity. Who knows fathers are generous, huh? How many times have we needed something? And love's like, go and ask your dad. Do you know, just fathers are generous. And I really believe the Lord is ushering us in to this, this identity as individuals because there is a broken and hurting world and there is a fatherless, fatherless generation who may be not, may not be orphaned or looked after foster children, but their spirits remain in orphanhood. Um, just as we're closing, because I'm really trying to stick to 12 o'clock, is, so I text a few people, um, mainly my son's friends who I knew grew up without a father. So these are East Riding Hull, uh, youth. Um, I actually put youth voices because when you're doing any research, it's really important to listen to the target group who, who you're talking to. I just want to read what they said. Okay, it's going to be real, it's going to be raw. Okay, we need to have a man class. I don't know how to be a man. My dad left when I was two. So I said, What does a man, what do you need to learn? Well, I'd like to know how to do business, treat girls, and just be good. I just want to be a good man. Another text said, I would go to church. TBH, to be honest, I'm not ready for a full service. Will it be all churchy and weird or will they have snacks and burgers? Well, that's clearly important to some teenage youth, isn't it? The other one was, I don't really like church, but having a mentor sounds cool. They won't make me sing, will they? <laughs> I'm like, no. But, you know, in between the humour, we, we can we can see that there's willingness to come if we change the title of church and maybe did a man class or a man group. I, I actually text my son and, and I asked him and the first response was, Mama, don't text me, VM me. And I'm like, really? And then he's like, it, it, it's so old school to text, VM me, voice message me, so I voice messaged him. 
And, and he actually came up with some good ideas. He said, can we sit, sit in a circle? Can we have a projector? And every week have a topic in man class. And then we all go around the room as men, old men, young men, some as old as granddad, he said, and, and all talk about things that we really struggle about. You know, the things that the church don't talk about. Wow. Okay. And then if we have to, we can pray for each other, but can we have food before we leave? And I'm like, that sounds great. Can we have a man class? Can you imagine? If we could, I'm getting emotional, think about it. When I see the men, the quality of men and fathers, I honour you for being godly men and fathers. Because there's generations hanging in the midst whose lives will change. Our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, their lives, the generations will be impacted because you chose to stay. You chose to say yes to Jesus and be a legitimate husband and father and grandpa. We, we, we look at the answers of society, but the solution is fathers. And I'm praying that we can, in the future, not only have man class, but have girl class as well, because there is a, such a need to welcome the brokenness, the lost, in. Let's stop building orphanages. I could have told you 15 years, thank you, but it really doesn't work. And, and, and it sounds a little harsh, but God forbid that some, each of us was told that we had a life-threatening illness. And someone said to you, sadly, you'll go home to Jesus in two years. Now you can choose. Your children can go and live with your family or they can go be placed in an orphanage, which would you choose? Pure and undefiled religion. Yet the church keeps building institutions and institutions. And I believe the Lord is saying it is time not to just bring deinstitutionalization into the, the, the foster care system, but it's got to start in my church. I didn't die on the cross. He says, I will no longer leave you as orphans or slaves, but those who are with me are sons, and if not sons, heirs. We are royal children of the King of Kings. And just to close, I can remember praying once about a situation when a child had witnessed something, and there's no little ears in the room, I hope, but a child in Honduras had actually witnessed some executions and had had gone mute in, in, in the trauma and it was so devastating. And I was just weeping like, this is out of control, God. This is beyond my ability. This is beyond my understanding. What can I do? I'm just a midwife who prays, who does a bit of project management. What can I do? And the Lord said, become a son. And I said, why? Why do I need to be a son? What is it? And he said, because sons will set the orphans free. We cannot and we will not be able to love the lost better unless we are walking in our own sonship identity. So can we just stand together right now? I know this is being a little heavy in places, but I believe it's the father heart more than ever before is saying, are we ready, church? 
are we ready to welcome in the orphan and the slave? Andy, can you just close in prayer for us? Thank you. Wow, amen. Well, can we, can we just, let's remain standing, but can we just thank Leone for that this morning? That's been really powerful. Um, for the record, if you are preaching on a Sunday morning, you don't have to finish at 12. Unless you're rubbish, then you can finish at, at quarter 12 for me, but finish when you finish for, for me. I don't know why we bring in rules like that, but um, what was I going to say? Um, well, firstly, we need someone to start a man class, don't we? Don't we? Amen? You know, it's okay to say amen to stuff and nod and all that's a great idea, but someone's got to do it. Someone's got to catch a heart for it and so pray about it and, and see. I think that um, a large part of what we're doing is kind of God's been leading us over the past few weeks, looking at our identity as his beloved, is that you can only give what you first receive, can't you? And so it, the the end is not, us kind of thinking, oh, we're loved and God loves us. The the end is that we so get that revelation that we are beloved, that we can then minister the love of God, the love of the Father to others. Because who knows, there's a world that needs it. There's a broken world that desperately needs the love of God. And if we're broken and if we're orphaned and if we're wounded, we can't bind up and heal others. But when we're whole, when we healed, when we know who we are, then out of that we can minister God's love to others. Amen. And who knows that love is powerful. You know, we've been looking at it. Perfect love expels, casts out all fear. Uh, you know, if you when you look at the work that Heidi Baker does in Mozambique, um, she'll minister to children that are, that are possessed by demons and they'll literally just hug the demons out of the children and they'll just minister the love of God. And all those spirits will, will flee because of, of the pure love that's flowing out of those that know who they are. Amen. Um, let's pray right now that we will embrace our identity as God's beloved children and that we will minister to others, those that desperately need that revelation. Father, I want to thank you right now that you call those that were not loved your beloved children. And God, I thank you today, God, that, that God, right now, you call us beloved, Lord God, that we, you say right now, you're my son, you're my daughter. God, thank you that you run towards us, oh God. And right now, I pray, God, that the orphan heart that we that is within every one of us, Lord God, God, right now, we just cast that out right now in the name of Jesus. Just like you said to Abraham of, uh, of Ishmael, um, it may seem harsh, and it is harsh naturally, but there's a, a spiritual principle you're showing as you said, get rid of the, of the slave, get rid of the orphan, get rid um God, and right now that the Ishmael that's in us, the slave that's in us, we cast it out of our lives, oh God, and we embrace right now our identity as your beloved children. 
Come on, just say with me this morning. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. God, let us embrace that, Father God. And then, God, as we live in that and as we walk in that and as we hold on to that and as, like Paul, we are convinced of that, God, let us minister, Lord God, to those here in Kingswood and those here in East Riding who are orphans, whether that be natural or spiritual, Father God. God, let us love the lost. Let us love the broken. God, let the Father heart be so um, manifest and so evident in this place, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.